now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning layer ones to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. This week, I'm happy to be hosting Simon from Index Co-op on the Delphi podcast. Simon is a DAO pioneer, helping build Index Co-op to become one of the most successful DAOs in the space, building up to $250 million in TVL across its index products, the most famous of which is DeFi Pulse. Most impressively, Index has done this while operating as a true DAO open, non-hierarchical, and meritocratic, where anyone can contribute to help making Index a success. At Delphi, we're massively bullish on DAOs. My goal with this interview is to go in the weeds with a DAO power user and builder, getting a glimpse of what an organization of the future might look like. We'll cover how Index Co-op works, advantages and disadvantages of structuring as a DAO versus a more traditional LLC, as well as how Simon sees the future of DAOs. Simon, thanks very much for being here. Jose, thank you for having me. Um, huge fan of what you guys are doing at Delphi. Um, know a couple guys on your team, absolutely blown away by the growth of the last couple um, years. And I you know, can't wait to talk about Index Co-op. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So uh, excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we're huge fans of what, of what you guys are doing too. To, to start us off, could you give us just a quick description of your background and, and how you got into crypto? Yeah. So um Graduated college with a degree in philosophy in 2013. Really, like, no technical background, no finance background. Um, I think my full finance background was like a B, B minus in economics as a freshman. You know, after I graduated college, I joined the United States Marine Corps as an infantry officer. Um, I spent six years in the Marine Corps um, leading platoons of infantry Marines. I was stationed in Hawaii, Japan, and Korea. Um, you know, during that time period, I, the, the Marine Corps is a very, is not a particularly, like nowhere in the United States military is super tech forward, right? Like technology, like the, the work technology we interact with every day is always, you know, it's 10, 15 years behind what you encounter in the civilian world. So, you know, that entire time, really my full exposure technology was, you know, Outlook. That was about it. There was, you know, four infantry officers, one computer for my entire career in the Marine Corps. Um, but I got back from a deployment in 2017 and I uh, got back to Hawaii and I remember I was like walking around base and I overheard these Marines be like, Hey, have you heard about this thing called Ethereum? It's like Dogecoin and Bitcoin. It's going to a million. I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of cool. And I, I started to dive in and the guys I was living with at the time had a friend who had just written a children's book on Bitcoin. And he flew out to visit us in Hawaii and he gave us like a two day long power intro into crypto right at the start of the 2017 bull market. Um, so we had, you know, we're diving, we have a blast, but I had no like framework to understand the technology from. Um, I understood it was cool. I kind of got it a little bit, uh, but had no real framework. So I got out of the Marine Corps in 2019. Um, and I went to NYU for business school with the intent of becoming an investment banker going into finance and, and really doing that whole tract. Um, and that was that was my first exposure business school, my first exposure to, you know, banks, to finance, to, you know, traditional corporations, to, you know, these traditional structures and how they work. Um, I spent last summer working in technology M&A uh, at an investment bank in New York City. And while I was there, it, it became very clear to me that the, the future was not at these big banks. Um, it felt like it was like a, a rag that has been squeezed dry of almost, almost all the water and there's not a whole lot left to squeeze. So I got done with uh, my summer working in the investment bank and I, I just knew I had to do something else. I knew I had to, um, you know, find, find a, a better path and... You know, at the same time, you know, DeFi summer had been happening. I'd been following it. I had 
you know, kind of return to crypto a little bit. And I found suddenly I had a much more, a much better framework to approach crypto from. I understood finance a little bit. I'd been exposed to technology a little bit. And um, in, in November of last year, I finally, I said, hey, like, if you don't, if you don't go and work in crypto right now, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to get into crypto. Just do it now. Um, so I, you know, I, I left New York City. I moved down to Mexico with the intent of just really focusing on crypto, um, you know, here on out. So at that time, I got very involved with Index Co-op uh, just as a contributor. It was very early stages. There were, you know, four or five active contributors um, and then the set and DeFi Pulse teams who were who were kind of helping the DAO get spun up. Um, and I and I started very I started like many contributors. I started doing very very small tasks around the DAO, whether that is doing slide decks or you know taking call notes, just the most basic you know the, the things you do when you're an entry level person at a job. Um, and then from there, I, I saw that there was a lot of opportunity with business development in Index Co-op. There were a lot of relationships that we needed to build. Um, that was something I was very comfortable with. Um, so over the over the course of the winter, I really started to build out and formalize our entire business development structure and um, really build our relationships across the ecosystem. Um, this spring, we we raised uh, 7.75 million from a number of uh, leading investors, and that was a you know treasury diversification. That was a big step for our business development organization. Um, and we've really been at the forefront of partnering with the different, really the, all the different players in the ecosystem. And it's been an absolutely incredible experience. You know, looking back at having spent time in the Marine Corps, like Index Co-op is, is the best team I've ever been on. It functions at just an incredibly high level. Um, I, you know, Sunday night, I can't wait for Monday morning. It's awesome. That's incredible, man. That's a, that's a dope uh, crypto origin story. I can't think of a more sort of different working environment, I guess, than the military to a DAO. Seems like it would be the, in terms of like hierarchy and openness and stuff, seems like it'd be, it'd be pretty different. Um, yeah, how, how was that transition for you? It's funny you say that. So the thing is, so with the Marine Corps, um, as you know, yes, it, yes, we have email, right? We do email, but it's still a, it's still a, a organization where you send an email, you get a reply in, you know, the next day, right? And that's kind of like the, that's the tempo. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you go from Outlook to Discord where there's instantaneous replies to maybe 30 different conversations at a time, every single day, every single day of the week, 24 seven. And it really, it, it, it forces you to grow. It forces you to learn. But I think the, the thing that I've, really been grateful for is a lot of the fundamentals I learned from the Marine Corps have really transferred over one-to-one. -one. DAOs need leadership. They need, um, you know, people who are willing to just do some of the hard work. They need like a real big focus on culture. And that's something the Marine Corps has done very well over the last, you know, 225 years of its existence or 240. Um, and like DAOs need that too. DAOs need to focus on culture. DAOs need to focus on values. And, and those things translate very well. Very cool. And I'd love to understand, because uh, there's a few entities involved in, in Index, right? There's, there's kind of Index Co-op itself, and there, there's SET, uh, there's DeFi Pulse. Could you maybe give like uh, just an overview of, of the different entities involved and, and how, how they relate and how they came about? Yeah, so I, I really think of it as a tripod. So think of token sets, um, and set labs, like that's the infrastructure we are built on. That is the technology infrastructure. Um, and set labs is, is one of the best engineering labs in the world. They've done an incredible job over the last three years. Um, and then DeFi Pulse is one of our methodologists. And think of the methodologists as really the data providers. They are the ones who are curating what should be on the indexes, um, building out the methodology and, and, and feeding that to index. And then index co-op is like this superstructure that exists around that kind of helps merge these two worlds between the technology provider and the data provider and we provide just this massive infrastructure around that whether that is our product team which you know facilitates the launch of all our indexes with our different partners whether it's our engineering team our design team our growth team our marketing team um, business development and that's allowed us to 
it's it's incredible because it allows everybody to focus what they're on what they're good at. So if I'm leading a really world class solidity lab of ten people and you're focused on solving some of the hardest problems in the hardest technology problems in the world. Like you don't want to be doing all the BD. You, you don't want to be doing the growth. You don't want to be doing the marketing. Not because like you can, it's just, it's bandwidth, right? Like you, you can do one thing really well. You can't do all the things really well. Um, and the same with the methodologists. And what the DAO allows these organizations to do is you can scale incredibly quickly. So, you know, our, our structure as it's evolved, we're able to, just incorporate all these things that traditional startups, like would it would take them years to get to. Like a good example is when, you know, one of our community members writes a medium post about index co-op, it's translated into seven other languages in the next two days. Um, I'll, you know, I'll tweet or another core contributor will tweet. And all of a sudden I'll open up Twitter a half an hour later and I see my tweet in Spanish and like French and like that, that capability, like that is happening across the organization. Um, and it allows us just to scale and just approach things at speed in a way that I think more, more centralized organizations will, will always struggle with. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's super interesting. Um, I'd like to, I guess, zoom in a bit. So in terms of the value, like where, where is value flowing? So is the technology provider, like they're building kind of open source tech and then the value is, is, is flowing to a mixture of sort of index co-op and, and DeFi pulse or, or how does that work? Yeah. So we charge a small streaming fee on our, um, on all the indexes we launch and a portion of that streaming fee goes to the methodologist and then the remainder goes to the index co-op treasury. And that, the, that streaming fee just accrues in the treasury and is controlled by the index governance token. Um, set does not receive a portion of that streaming fee. They're, they're large stakeholders in index co-op. So like, that's where, that's where their portion is coming out of. Um, and it, and it's really, it's really, it's a very compelling business model. It's very similar to what BlackRock does. It's very similar to what, uh, Vanguard does a very small streaming fee on these very, very, very large products. And it accrues to one place, which is the index index, uh, Treasury, which is controlled by index token holders. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I, I, now I'd love to start digging into the DAO bit. You, you mentioned it a little bit, but I'd love to start at the high level. Like, how would you define a DAO and, and why should people care about DAOs? So when I, when I think of DAOs, I think of like an open source organization where anybody can join, anybody can help out, anybody can contribute. Um, the, real, the real beauty of the DAO is it breaks down all these barriers that have existed for hundreds of years preventing talent from flowing to different different areas of the world. Um, so a, a good example is we have community members everywhere in the world, Africa, Malaysia, Japan, China, United States, Europe, and everybody is really working as equals here. We, you know, we don't really worry about credentials. We really care about what people bring to the product and the results they bring. And, and that's a profound paradigm shift. Um, I think about, think about like a big bank, like Goldman Sachs, that is, you know, we traditionally think of as attracting the best talent in the world, but the talent that goes to Goldman Sachs is really a fraction of the real talent that exists in the world. Like you still need to be able to get a visa to the United States. You need to be able to have graduated from a certain school. Like all these things line up for you to get to that point. And each of those things, like, I guess talent, like you, you want to be a meritocracy, but a lot of those things really just serve as walls that prevent some of the most brilliant people in the world from contributing to this. And the, the beauty of it is like in BD, we have, um, you know, one of our core members is from South Africa and, you know, a university graduate there working with an MBA, uh, you know, a top 10 MBA um in New York City, and then we'll have some, you know, working with somebody in Malaysia, and everybody is bringing different perspectives. Everybody's bringing different approaches, and like we're really working on it to solve problems together. And I think that's just that's an incredible testament to the to the strength of this model. Yeah, that's really awesome. And so, do you think do you see this as like evolutionary in terms of like I guess social technology and like organization and coordination tech, or or is it revolutionary? Like are DAOs a new form 
of organizational structure or, or are they just like a more digital, more open uh, LLC? Like, how do you think about that? So I think decentralized organizations have been around for a while. Um, you know, I think good examples are, you know, think about any guerrilla movement throughout the 20th century, whether it was the Viet Cong, the Taliban, like these guerrilla movements that were very successful. They, they operated fully decentralized. Um, and those guys just with walkie talkies, basically. You think of organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous or some of the parenting organizations that exist globally to help, um, you know, women with children like those organizations exist globally they exist in a very decentralized manner right like the meeting the the meetings the the nature of that organization will exist without anybody in central in charge telling people what to do i really view DAOs as an evolution of that but it's but it's not like a linear evolution isn't like this is the next step it, it's much more parabolic like the what is being unlocked by this technology and the level of coordination that we are able to effectuate is so much more vast, so much more broad than anything that has ever been possible before. Um, and like, we're really, we're at the early, early days of scratching the surface here. I don't like, like, you know, we were talking about, there's only a few DAOs that are really like operating as businesses right now and generating revenue and distributing that revenue to the members and like mm -hmm. people are living off of and like supporting their families off of. But as these organizations get more efficient, as they get better, as they streamline their processes, they're going to, it's going to be very difficult for, um, company, large companies, traditional companies to compete because it, it, it really boils down to complexity. Um, I think we live in such a complex world right now and things move so fast that like the 1950s model of having one CEO in charge of five factories and him being able to kind of manage that, like. That's not really possible now. Like, yes, like Amazon and Facebook and these things, like those are those are marvels of organizational engineering, right? The fact that they've been able to accomplish this with these, you know, complex technology companies. But but open source and DAO is really the future because as our world gets more complex, as it gets more interconnected, as it gets more fast paced, the only way that we are really going to be able to build organizations for the 21st century is through this DAO model. And I think other organizations are just going to tremendously struggle to keep up and maintain pace. Okay. And so is, is open source the, the key, like what, what sort of unites the, the decentralized, like movement, guerrilla movements you mentioned before, like the Viet Congs and stuff. Um, is, is it open source or is it something like, I feel like there's some like lack of hierarchy as well that, that you, you're pointing to in that like i guess what makes those decentralized like orgs and do you think lack of hierarchy is sort of a key characteristic of, of a dao as well i'm not sure i don't think lack of hierarchy. like i think in any human structure there'll always be some hierarchies that emerge semi-organically and that's not necessarily a bad thing and when i think of like index co-op and you know the the very very loose hierarchy we have a lot of that hierarchy is based mostly on context and knowledge so the people who are, you know, very invested in the protocol know a lot about it. Um, like their decisions are taken or their recommendations are taken like very, very seriously. Um, and I guess when I, when I think of the heart of it, like what a DAO like really is, is it is, it's a very basic form of human organization. It's like, if, you know, if you think, way back, you know, centuries ago, if people are, you know, four or five people coming together to hunt, right? Like that's like nobody, you don't need somebody in charge. You're just like, everybody has their role, you know, somebody's shooting the bow, somebody's tracking, everybody's kind of following their role towards the mission and, and they get there. But you can't, like, you couldn't do that in the middle ages because at a, at a big scale, because you couldn't coordinate between all these different entities towards a similar goal. Um, but what we're seeing with really the technology revolution made possible through these different platforms like discord, like telegram and really tied together by the blockchain is we're able to align really large number of people to work in a cohesive in the same direction towards the same goals with their incentives aligned without needing a single person to tell them what to do. Yeah. That's really cool. Is that programmable? sort of incentive layer that, that, that allows that to happen. I want to dig in 
I think to, to how index works, because I think it's going to make this more sort of um, real for people and understanding. Yeah. So I guess like index co-op, we, we generally like to divide DAOs into sort of three buckets um, or, or actually, uh, I, I guess there's like protocol DAOs and, and collectives are the two that we kind of um, split up where a protocol DAO is kind of managing some some protocol or public good similar to index or, or Aave or Yearn. And then a collective is more like um, a group of people coming together to, to do something. And so you have like worker collectives like Dorg or Raid Guild and then capital collectives like like the Lao or, or, or Moloch. Um, in terms of, of index, like I'd say you're squarely into the protocol DAO space. Uh, why did you decide to, to structure uh, index as a DAO? And, and also, how does it work? Like, give us an overview of, of, of how index actually works. Like, how can someone join? Actually, maybe just how it works first, then we can go over the onboarding funnel. Yeah, so, so DAOs from the outside looking in are, are very, very complicated. But the reality is that they're, they're, it's pretty simple how it's broken down. Um, as far as like the work itself, we have basically different functional areas, uh, whether that's product, business development, um, engineering, design. And each of those areas has essentially a working group leader who is responsible for that, that vertical. Um, the working to those verticals get established essentially through on-chain governance. So somebody, usually a pretty established community member will propose a new working group saying, Hey, we should, uh, we should do this. We should do that. Um, and the, the, the community will vote on it. The community will come together. They'll say, Hey, like, you know, this makes, we, yes, we need to, we need a design working group. Um, what you guys have laid out makes sense. They will be allocated a budget for that quarter and that budget will be used to, to pay the different contributors in, um, like in that vertical. When it comes to, so that's like how we, how we structure like the business side of things. So think of it as 10 different verticals. Yeah. Sorry. Just, just to like uh, double tap on that. So yeah, go, go ahead. basically would the, these ideas would come from within the community, like they'd emerge on discord or something or within, within the contributors. And then you would like discuss them, uh, figure out what, what, a, what a good setup is. And then you would go to the token holders to kind of ratify that and, and get the, get the budget. Correct. Correct. Um, and then each working group is approved through an on-chain vote um, with with token holders, and and it's and it's a very good it's a good it's a very good way of just kind of establishing a framework for people to to fit in, and it the having the on-chain vote really it, it it ensures that there's like a good level of oversight from the entire community on what's going on, but it still allows each individual group to operate semi-autonomous essentially semi-autonomously away from the entire organization towards its own goals um, as, as they're laid out, whatever the proposal is. And then when it comes to like actual protocol, like strategy, decision-making, like how that happens at a high level. So we have, um, we have our working group leaders, which is, which is 10 community members. We have um, a small team from set labs who is, you know, really focused on index co-op. And then, then we have a few more community members who are very active in, in, in leadership roles in some function. And when, when we lay out our strategy, we really, we do a long, you know, one or two hour long phone call with all these big stakeholders. We, we have a full established list of like, hey, these are the things that I think we should be focusing on long term. Um, we discuss them, we, we weigh them, and ultimately we'll come out with our quarterly or yearly strategy saying, hey, this is how the people who are, you know, have the most context at this point, see us as like the core goals for the next quarter or the next year. And that's really what we use to orient off of as an organization. Very cool. And are those goals themselves like ratified by token holders or is it, is it more so like the spending decisions that sort of are consequences of those higher level goals? More so spending decisions, those goals it's, it's laid out. They, um, they can be refined over time. And it, it's, we always, when, when things go to the forum, as far as like, Hey, this is our quarterly goals. This is where it is. We tend to, there tends to be a lot of engagement, a lot of active debate about different aspects of those. And that engagement and debate, like people are scared of it. I think across crypto as a whole, they're like, Oh, it's in the forums or it's going to a vote. Like this is going to be high drama. But the reality is, is that's like necessary part of refining the process. 
And like, that's a necessary part of really reaching the best possible decision. Because something I think we, that's really become clear to me as I've worked at Index Co-op is it's very difficult for any one individual to come up with like the best solution on their own to these super complex, super nuanced questions, right? Like there's so, the technology is sophisticated. Um, there's so many inputs here that it really requires, it requires a lot of different voices to make themselves heard, to contribute um, and really shape that. That makes a lot of sense. And and you have like an org structure chart, which uh, I'm gonna put in the show notes, which which is awesome. Just kind of shows all the different working groups that they're, that are in the DAO. There's like, you know, the, the product group, the business development group, there's the, the investment committee design, like how, how is all this working in, in, in practice? Like, how do you, like, I guess, how, how do you all work together? Is there, like, you mentioned there's like the higher level goals that are set by kind of the leaders of each working group. And then it's just like, everyone's off to, to do their own thing. Or like, is there a discord group among, among all of you? How often do all the teams talk? Are, are they like basically independent teams? And, and also how many people are, are working on like contributing to index co-op across all these, all these groups? I think, okay. I'll, I'll, I think it actually might be easy just to walk through what a week index co-op looks like. Cause I think that gives a lot of clarity. hundred percent. That'd be dope. So on Mondays we hold like oh, our weekly context call and that's just for everybody in the community, every level. And that's where all the different working groups, all the different leadership, they each will have a slide saying, Hey, these are the things we're working on last week. These are the things we're working on this week. This is where we're at. Um, and the goal of that call isn't really debate or refinement. It is just setting the context for the community, updating everybody. Um, also on Mondays, we will we have our weekly like working group leaders call where the different all the working group leaders get together and we really just discuss kind of long term protocol strategy, long term protocol thought. Um, I will also on Monday, I touch base with like the four core contributors for BD and we do like a quick sync up on like the week ahead. Um, from there, all the different working groups throughout the week will have various meetings, internal meetings. And like some of those are very open and have a very educational approach and some are more closed, like, hey, it's just four people working on a problem. Um, on Wednesday, so for example, Wednesday, I hold the weekly BD working group call. Um, and that tends just to be very open and just educational. Like, hey, anybody can come. We're just educating you on what we're doing in business development. Uh, Wednesday afternoons, we have our weekly leadership forum, which is more formal than kind of our other calls where we really discuss one or two key topics for the protocol and really go in depth as a community and really try and work to ensure that everybody has as much context as possible. Um, from there, we have, you know, throughout the weeks, we have meetings with our key partners, whether that's investors, whether that is token set labs, whether that is DeFi Pulse. And it's kind of a, it's a constant treadmill almost just to like maintain, to gain and maintain uh, context across a bunch of different stakeholders in the organization. And like, that's, that's really how we break that, break it down week by week. Um, and then when I, when I think of numbers, we're, I would say people who are getting paid in some form by Index Co-op, there's probably about a hundred people getting paid um, for work they're doing. Uh, of those hundred, I would say there's 20 to 30 like real core contributors who are um, either leading working groups or helping to lead working groups. And that core nucleus of 20 or 30 is, is kind of in constant contact across a bunch of different chats like working cross-functionally to solve different problems. So, you know, some weeks I will be, you know, talking to nothing but the, the product team every day as we're refining the product launch, or I'll be talking nothing to, but the engineering team as we're seeing, hey, what is the feasibility of this index that somebody proposed? Um, and it's and it, it happens very organically and we're able to you know, come together, solve problems, and then go back to our working groups and, and, and focus on the main effort. That's awesome. And the, the treasury spending decisions, is that like um, once you have the, the plans, you go to the DAO for like a budget for a quarter or is it a budget for a year? And does it, does it order renew or do, does each team have to kind of reapply to the DAO for these, for these, uh, for these like grants or this budget? Like how does that portion work? Correct. So we, we do uh, quarterly, we reapply quarterly for each working group. Okay. 
Um, so essentially every working group will just, it's basically a business plan for that quarter. Makes sense. And then whatever budget they request is, is voted on and approved. Okay. And have there been instances of like budget is budgets being like rejected by, by, by the DAO and having to like go back to the drawing board or has it been pretty, pretty smooth so far? I think every single budget gets refined. Okay. I would say that's like the biggest point is there's a lot of eyes on these budgets. There's a lot of eyes on these proposals. You really have to make sure like there's just, there's no fat in any of these proposals. Like we run incredibly lean. Um, I would say the majority of our expenditure is just, just goes to contributors and ensuring that they're doing the work to, to support the protocol. Okay. Interesting. And I'd love to now like uh, dig into like your onboarding experience. Cause I think you're doing probably the most innovative work in the space here in terms of onboarding people. Like your, your docs are great. Um, the, the onboarding process is really smooth. I, I looked through a bunch of it. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you design your onboarding experience? How has it been working so far? Like how many people kind of go through it? Uh, yeah. I'd love to just get your, get, get, get a summary on that. Awesome to hear that. Huge shout out uh, to Pepperoni Joe and Aframac who've been really leading the charge there. So our onboarding, it's gone through a few evolutions, right? So like when we first started in December or November, December, like it was just, you know, whoever shows up, shows up and we are expected over the next like few months to gain context. There's no framework for you to fit into. Um, come like, and that worked for a while. Like that works really well when you're small because it helps screen out people. You just, you know, you get a few people and that's all you need. In March and April, we really started talking about how do we manage this, this massive influx of people that we're seeing in the protocol who want to get involved, who want to help out. Um, and that really led to a, a few key decisions. And the first was starting a new joiner call every week where we're able to let new joiners join a call, learn about the protocol, ask questions, get involved. Um, from there, the new joiners have a, essentially a new joiner quest. We call it the um, Copper Owl quest. And they go through that entire quest. And what that is, is it's really just helping them gain context. Um, it's helping them learn how to contribute. It's helping them figure out, learn how to help out. And after that, like they should have enough context to start understanding, Hey, these are the meetings I want to go to. This is where I want to get involved. And it scales from there. I think so. so something that's really important to realize is there's this idea that people have this idea that you can just show up to a DAO and do, and just start doing work from like day one. And what we've seen over the last few months is like, over the last year is it really doesn't work that way. Like you really need people who have con like, the work is so complex, it's so sophisticated that there's a, such a high level of context needed to contribute that it takes people two or three months to gain that level of context to the point where they're comfortable saying, hey, like, let's drive this forward. Let's make this happen. Like, I'm going to push this forward. Um, so it's, you know, we come back to this concept of context a lot, and that is really the key of it. And I think so I think a, a big follow on from that that's probably not apparent outside looking in is it's very difficult to hire people for a DAO, like hire externally, um, because the work environment is so different than what normal, what people are used to that you might have the best resume in the world from Google. You might have the best resume in the world from Morgan Stanley, but just not be able to operate in a DAO. It's like, it's a mental jump that not everybody can make. And the only real way to tell if somebody can make that jump is have they been operating in a DAO for a few months? Very interesting. And how many people have gone through this onboarding process? Like how many contributors do you have that are part-time and also like what kinds of people you mentioned, maybe it's not the typical like JP Morgan, uh, you know, like Harvard, Stanford backgrounds, or, or, or is it, or is there a, a real mix? Like I'm curious, yeah. What, what kind of people are, are, are sort of contributing in general, how many of them stay, stick around? Yeah. Like uh, all, all those kinds of, kinds of things. Yeah. So we, we average, I would say our DJ call average is like 40 people a week. 30 or 40 people a week are on wow. that. Um, from there, it's kind of hard because like a lot of people are bouncing around the space. Um, I would say most that complete the new, the bronze owl quest are, they'll, they stick around, right? And then from there, it's like any organization. A, a few people who are really good will be able to, will scale and start taking on more and more responsibility. Um, and a lot of people are just happy, you know, just contributing and helping out here and there. And when it comes to backgrounds, it's really broad. And 
I would say that we get really, really smart people from a world-class background. Um, and then we get really, really smart people from a non-traditional background and like it's synced up incredibly well. Like we have right now, I have students that, you know, leading graduate programs, leading colleges. I have people walking away from 15 years in TradFi to do this. Um, I have like people with families, right? Like deciding to make the jump um, and leave like big, big recognized organizations to do this. So it's, it's very broad. I think there's this like, there's this not stigma, but people see like discord, right? And they just think it's a bunch of randos and they just, your their mind just snaps mm-hmm. to some guy in a basement with Doritos coming down his thing, just typing away. But the reality is so much broader than that. It's so much more sophisticated than that. Um, and, it, and it's incredible. Like we have our, our women in index co-op working group that meets once a week and there's 20 women on that call and approaching it from a very different perspective. And like the, the beauty of these open source organizations is there really is a spot for everybody, no matter where, what your background is, no matter where you are in the world. Um, if you think you have what it takes, you really can, you can really make your future here. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I'd love to hear, do you have any like sort of success stories of, of someone that's that came in as a, as an early contributor and then sort of kept, kept contributing and grew to being a core member of the, of the DAO? Yeah, so I think one of my best, one of the best success stories ever is uh, one of the guys who worked super closely with me on BD, Michael Matanga, M Rings. Uh, definitely follow him on Twitter. He had uh, just graduated from university in South Africa, um, and we had our first onboarding call I think in January, and reached out to me. He's like, "Hey, Simon, I learning about crypto. I'm not." super savvy on it, but I just love to like help out and learn about it. And, you know, he, he didn't have a ton of, tra- like, he didn't have like some traditional work background, um, that like of, you know, hundred, some, you know, fortune 500 company. And he, he just started coming, you know, every single meeting he was there, every single, uh, call I was there was like, Simon, how can I help out? Simon, how can I help out? Simon, how can I help out? And from there, he started being, you know, doing some outreaches to projects, getting conversations started. And then he started doing proposals. And the first three months of proposals he wrote, like the community would just shoot him down and be like, this is like, no, we're not doing this. This is too small. This isn't good enough. This isn't. And, but then he got like one proposal, like we partnered with, um, with, um, with pool together and he got that through. And then he got another proposal through. Then he got another proposal through. And now he's, you know, the, one of the two people I just, I rely on the absolute most to get things done. And it's just an absolute rock star and is one of the most respected members of the community and has just, you know, come out incredibly long ways. And I think that's a real testament of like, people think that this is just closed just to coders or just people with finance backgrounds or just people who really have been in crypto for like four years but it's a lot bigger than that. And people are smart. Like people are really smart and we don't give people enough credit for their ability to come into these organizations, learn what's going on and then scale it and just start killing it. That's so cool. Yeah. And what's the process? Like once you find someone that you really like, let's say you start working with them, start contributing and you want to extend them like a full-time offer. And let's say they're a very good developer or, or someone with a big TradFi background and they require like some, some level of commitment, whether it's salary or, or, or tokens in order to, to be able to kind of come on full-time. What, what, what's the process for that? Like, who do you go to? Um, who, who do you discuss it with? And then at what point does the DAO need, need to approve that? Or is it just kind of included with the, with the quarterly budget for whatever that team is? So a lot of, so the members, the core members on all the different teams I described are earning essentially a full-time salary um, month to month and based on their contribution. And then for like key areas, like a smart contract engineer, we will first do a hiring post, just laying out like what we're looking for, you know, what the skill set we want, open to applications. And then we'll have a small hiring committee of three or four people who will review those applications and just go through it. Um, and then th- they'll make a final recommendation that gets voted on on chain. Okay. So we recently went through that process with like a head of analytics, a head of smart contract. Very cool. And the, the salary portion, 
is there also like a token portion and, and how, how is that uh, decided on sort of like the, the kind of stock option type portion? It's just token. It's just the token okay. portion. So compensation is a hundred percent denominated in index, which is our governance okay. token. Um, and then for the full-time, for the full-time contributors, they will re- like, we receive essentially a vested allocation of index over a two year period. Um, and then like a small index stipend every month. Makes sense. And, and that's decided on by the individual teams and then voted on by, by the DAO. Yeah, correct. Makes sense. Yeah, this is, uh, this is super interesting. Um, I guess like zooming out a bit, from, from your perspective, I, I, actually before we go there, how does the index token work and help facilitate this coordination? You mentioned people are paid in it. Obviously vesting is, is, is paid in it. Do you think like all DAOs need tokens and to, to what extent do they help or, or, or hinder in your mind? So if there's one thing I could change about Index Co-op right now and something that I'm laser focused on making happen is, so right now we have five full-time, five or six full-time contributors with vested contracts. Um, I would love nothing more than to get the 30 people who are working full-time on this on similar contracts. Like that would be the biggest win ever. The, the token incentives, the great thing it does is it, it aligns not just incentives, but it aligns ownership. And when people feel like they have ownership in a project, like their work matters, their work drives value, they work incredibly hard. We have, like when I say of those 20 or 30 people, like those people are working 80 to 100 hours a week, every single one of them. Um, like people aren't, <laughs> really, you know, it's very working hard and like the only way you can get people to work that hard is if they have a true vested stake in the protocol um so i think i think it's absolutely key and i'm not sure i'm not sure how we would do it without that yeah makes sense and obviously it helps that that you're sustainable you're actually generating like real revenue uh one of the few kind of self-sustainable DAOs out there so the other really compelling use case of our token is it allows us to vote in the governance of all the tokens held in our indexes yeah so the index community votes on Aave, it votes on all these. And that is the, that, the beauty of that is it's a very compelling value proposition to large stakeholders who have um, exposure across these different protocols that allows them to vote in a number of different protocol votes as, as a whole. So when index decides to vote yes on a proposed Aave, we vote with the 30 million Aave we hold. Um, and that's a very, very compelling use case for number of players in the ecosystem yeah meta governance uh, absolutely that's super cool and um so you've, you've gone over a lot of the advantages of, of the DAO structure uh, feel free to mention any more that that, that that you feel like we haven't covered but i'd also like to hear about the biggest sort of disadvantages and, and hindrances that you've seen with the DAO structure versus something more traditional like what are the biggest pain points so i think the biggest pain point is reaching content consensus on like highly complex, highly nuanced topics. So a lot of the thing, a lot of the big decisions that our DAO goes through are like the real most important decisions. Like they're not easy problems and they require a lot of context to solve. So a lot of the time we'll find, we'll have some working group or some small group like working super hard on a project and they're, they have really good context on it. They know what's going on. Um, and then they, it will come time for a community decision. And it's very hard for the other 20 or 30 people who are also working 24 seven to be able to dive into that specific proposal, that specific issue and gain enough context to make a good decision. So like DAOs are only, DAO decision-making is only as good as the context that everybody has. If everybody's just like working off just garbage context and they don't know what's going on, you're going to end up with horrible decisions. But if you really, really prioritize making good decisions, getting um, the whole community to understand what's going on, that's where you're able to really, really facilitate good decision making. And I, I really like people worry in DAOs. They're like, oh, how do things happen? How do decisions get made? Like 98% of it runs on autopilot. Like people know the goal. Like if the goal is simple, you, you don't need, you don't even need geniuses. You don't need brilliant people. You just need like, Hey, this is the goal we're all working towards. Um, this is some area where we need help and people go that way. 
the two percent that gets hard is when it's a truly complex, truly nuanced decision that has like a couple pros and cons on both sides, and you have to reach you know some sort of consensus as a group. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely we can definitely vibe with that at, at Delphi. Kind of everyone told us that um, investment committees don't work, right? And in, in venture funds, you want you want to have like uh, those decisions by committee don't work, and you really want to have like one person that really gets it, make the decision. But we have like a, a seven-person investment committee at Delphi Ventures, and always always have had, and that's worked really well for us. Um, we sort of understand each other's strengths. We we know when to delegate our votes to, to other people. The discussion always really helps, kind of us uh, clarify like like bear cases and bull cases, and understand what we have going in. So I think we we, we definitely operate like pretty similarly to a Del- Delphi generally, and I think the investment committee was a good example of that, where kind of everyone told us it wouldn't work, but it's it's actually worked super well for us. But on the DAO governance, kind of what you what you brought up um, makes me think of something that we, we spend a lot of time uh, discussing, which is just like DAO governance generally right now, like the low levels of participation, the domination by by whales, and, and also the, the, I guess I'd love your thoughts on that, but also your thoughts on like specialization, because from our perspective, that's kind of the, the, the future of DAOs, right? Like the similar to the working groups that you have, but with those working groups actually being empowered to to make decisions, without needing that DAO ratification. So there, there would be like, so you'd kind of split decisions and this is like very much inspired by Yaren's governance 2.0. I'm not sure if you've you've looked into that at all, but we're, we're super interested in that. So this idea that basically token holders delegate discrete governance powers to, to working groups, which could effectively be like multi-sigs, right? And then there's some way in which those working groups are like accountable to token holders, but they don't like, because it's what you mentioned before, right? All token holders don't have all the context on every decision. And actually it makes most sense for the people with the most context to make those decisions and then for them to just be accountable to the token holders. I mean, what do you think of that model? So everybody loves decentralization when it's small and safe. Like being like, hey, it's a decentralized group of four, four people and we're working on this. Like that, everybody loves that. That's small, that's safe, that's easy. Where people, where decentralization gets scary, like really scary um, for people, for communities, for everybody is when we start talking about decentralization at scale, like actual scale, yearn scale, index co-op scale, like thousand person, 2000, 10,000 person scale. Like that's where it gets really scary um, because everybody, if you think about everybody's background up to this point, right? Everybody, no matter who you were, in 2017, you were working at a central, some sort of centralized organization, whether it was a university, whether it was a school, whether it was a business, it was a highly centralized organization and you were very used to that framework. And suddenly you enter this space where it's like that organization doesn't apply anymore. It's totally decentralized and it's big. And people have to break a lot of the bad habits that they gain from those like from those old structures. Like people are very used to saying, hey, I need somebody to tell me what to do, right? Like that is one of the most fundamental habits everybody needs to break. And making that jump to saying, hey, like I I can kind of like create my own future. I can kind of just like, it's a bet on me, but I can like drive this forward. And it's, it's a powerful realization. It's a powerful step. And when I see like the lack of protocol engagement right now, the lack of governance participation, um, like some of these frustrations, a lot of the times I see that as like people just kind of defaulting back to like waiting for somebody to tell you what to do when it's like, go and create, you know what I mean? Like if you want to make change happen, like go and get a bunch of votes delegated, get something out there, get it, you know, drive it through. Um, and, and like, that's really the model and people need to need to view this as a bet on themselves. I think a great example of that is, is Shreyas at, at Lama Dao. They've done a great job of doing governance proposals for Aave, for Uniswap, for a number of different protocols saying, hey, like, we're going to get really good at this one thing and we're going to um, be really confident in it. We're going to lay out the business case and we're going to you know, put it to on-chain votes. And, you know, thank you for trusting us. Okay. So is it, would that be an argument for, I guess, you don't need the specialization because you just think if people want to make something happen, they can make it happen. And having to convince the entire community is, is sort of like a feature and not a bug. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. 
like we we do need highly specialized experts. We need people who, uh, I guess. So the real trick here, the trick is, is like where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line between an expert decision and a community decision? And and that's hard, right? Because there's a ton of overlap on like it's never so cut and dry like the the easy engineering decisions can be expert decisions and i don't think there's a lot of debate around making like the easy engineering decisions engineering decisions but the hard engineering decisions are decisions that are hard because they need like actual like community discussion and community input and that's where that's like the real crux of the issue in my eyes yeah that's really interesting and how how much of your time is spent sort of explaining things to the community, trying to bring the community up to speed in terms of context. And I guess like how much faster could you move if you, if you didn't have to do that? Or, or is that, or, yeah. And, or, or is there, obviously there's, there's big benefits to that as well. But um, yeah, I'm just curious there. I, I, I spend a significant amount of my week, every week, maintaining context across, whether that's with the methodologists like DeFi Pulse, with Set Labs, with the outside investors, with the community. Um, it is, it's a main gain, gain and maintaining context is, is the biggest, uh, thing that we spend time on probably as a community. Um, if we didn't have that, we would, so it's weird because I would, I, my default is we'd be so much faster, but the reality is, is like, we are operating basically as fast as any organization on the planet right now, outside of a two person team or something working on like one specific problem progress. So it's like it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy there. And I, and it's frustrating, right? Like I'll bring something to the community and people will be like, well, we didn't, we don't have enough context on this. Like we need more time to think about it. And you're like, well, I just want to execute. I just want to get this over the line guys. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I know it's good. Um, and it's just kind of a constant balancing act and it is, yeah, it, it, it requires kind of constant work on, in, when you're in the DAO. And are you happy with, with how that's going or would you want like a bit more delegation specialization so you can kind of move on, on, on some stuff at least without requiring community buy-in or do you think the community buy-in is like a, a healthy a healthy thing on, on every decision? I think we're moving much, much and much closer to like an executive model where we have like executive powers um, similar to what Yearn 2.0 is. It's just, I, so the thing is with decentralization and growing a decentralized autonomous organization is like there's this concept of minimal viable decentralization that I think about a lot of you can't just embrace every aspect of decentralization from day one and assume it's going to work like you have to build up towards that and it's it's an iterative process but it's also a step-by-step process so you can't just say hey like free for all the only thing that goes it, you know, whatever's on chain is on chain. We're not having any other, anything else. Um, and like, we're, we're slowly moving towards a point where we're able to identify, Hey, these are the key decisions that need to be made quickly by a few experts. And these are the broader decisions that need to be made by the community and will always need to be made by the community. And like, I think that's like, it's, it's a progress. It's a lot. It's, it's a line that we're walking. Absolutely. Um, j- just one, so like across DAOs, including index and a bunch of other DAOs, there's, there's like tens of billions of dollars in, in treasury. What, what do you see as the best way to, and there's a sense in which there's some capital inefficiency there, right? There's a bunch of capital that could be used to, to grow initiatives, to fund grants, to, to hire people. And, and it's kind of sitting there. Um, there's different experiments on how to, how to spend that. There's stuff like coordinate, which is pretty cool. There's, there's stuff like, uh, grants. Uh, DAOs like the the one I'm I'm part of for Ave, but I'm I'm, I'm curious like how, what do you see as, as the way to spend that at scale because like I guess the pace needs to accelerate pretty dramatically to, to make a dent in that. That's a really that's a very very good question. I think that's kind of at the heart of a lot of protocols right now. So Matthew Graham has done a, he's he leads our treasury work group. He's done a great job uh, managing our treasury, and the way we approached it was the the priority number one was safety. We were like. Okay, we have $80 million in our governance token. This is fluctuating every day. Like, let's get a base safety of stable assets so that no matter what happens to the external markets, like we can survive more or less indefinitely as an organization. Uh, and that was like the big driver for us to do our treasury diversification and bring in investors. Um, from there, 
the sky's the limit. Like the the thing is, like we're not really using DeFi protocols in DeFi or DeFi treasuries in DeFi yet. Like we're taking initial steps, but a lot of it is people just holding on to their, you know, just sitting on a massive fortress, their governance token, when the reality is you can use that, you know, you can provide liquidity for your different products, you can support liquidity, you can lend it out, you can borrow it, um, you can take, you can diversify it, right? That's a huge focus. Yep. A huge focus of us has been onboarding our products onto different Dow treasuries so they can diversify their treasuries. Um, and I really see like Dow treasury management, like those are that, that, that yep. is, those are going to be the hedge funds of 2020 of the, of this, of this century. hundred percent. And in terms of governance tooling, you mentioned some pain points. Are there any governance tools that you're particularly excited about or that you're using at index and, or is there even stuff that you've had to build because there's, that doesn't exist in, in, in the market? So governance tooling is very, very nascent right now. Um, we really are, we run on discord, we run on our yeah. forum, we use snapshot for voting and that's about it. And snapshot and boardroom. And I think there's a need for better tooling. I think we need to continue to develop it, but I also think there's a benefit just to saying, Hey, like we're going to run this as long as possible at like the minimal layer of technology right and then like scale it as it comes i think a good example of this is i've I've talked to a lot of investors over the last few months and a lot of the traditional like san francisco based techno uh vcs they they love to talk about like dow tooling because and you know governance projects right and the reason, a big reason they love to do that is because it's so similar to like the SAS business model that they've been used to for the last 30 yeah. years. And it's like a one-to-one and they're like, oh, this makes sense. When, when you're, but when you're actually in the DAO operating it, it's not that like you don't need that and it won't make it more efficient. It's more that it's less of a pressing need than I think uh, some people realize. Yeah, that uh, we Definitely agree with that. Um, there's some stuff we're, we're excited about, but there's, there's also like less interest in people building those because the business model is less clear than like DeFi, I think. So kind of seeing less innovation there than I think we should, given how, how important it is. Um, is there, I'd love to be going into the last few questions now. What do you see as like the future of, of DAOs? Um, are, are you seeing like these massive like 10,000 person DAOs? Is Index going to be like a 10,000 person DAO? you know, coordinating its scale across across Discord and stuff? Or are you seeing like m- many more smaller, leaner organizations for stuff that couldn't exist in the traditional world? Like whether it's Wall Street Bets is a DAO and, and, and stuff like that, or, or is it a mixture of, of both? I think it'll be a mixture of both. So when I think about the future of Index Co-op, so Index Co-op will be the largest crypto asset management platform in the world in the next three years. And realistically, in the next five to 10 years, like we'll, we will be competing directly with Vanguard and BlackRock. And in order to do that, we will have to scale as an organization. We'll have to bring on more people. Like we can't, it can't just be ran with a five, a 20 person team. There's going to have, it's going to have to scale up the limit of that scale. Um, I think it's kind of DAO is kind of naturally self limit, like to what they can sustain. So if it's a massive trillion dollar entity, I think it can sustain a lot of people and it can sustain a, a big organization kind of working in the same direction. And if it's a small protocol at you know, 50 million TVL, you can probably only sustain a team of four or five people. And that's, it's very directly correlated to like how much revenue you bring and how, what you're, what you're doing. But alongside that, I think we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of DAO, like specialized DAOs helping out in specialized areas and, and contributing there. But it's important to remember that a lot of the magic that makes DAOs so powerful is is the buy-in and the skin in the game. And if people have a stake in index co-op and if they do good work, they know their index co-op token is going to go up and they're going to, you know, that value of the, of their ownership is going to go up. They're going to just work so much harder than if you contract out. And I'm sure you guys have seen this at Delphi, right? Like there's some things, there's some work that you just can't contract out. You can't contract out your investment, right? Like it's just too important skin in the game. Everybody needs to be on their A game. So I view we will probably continually start to like spin off little sub DAOs that are focused on stuff and kind of operate themselves. They'll probably request a budget, but a lot of the core work I think has to remain within the protocol. For sure. Well, 
this was awesome, Simon. I, I really enjoyed learning more about, about index and getting your thoughts on governance. Last, I guess, question. Is there anything else you want to, you want to hit on? And if people are interested in finding out more about index, where, where can they find you? Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the real priorities at index co-op, I would say the biggest priority is our culture. Um, we strive to have an open culture. We strive to embrace newcomers. We strive to make it a really welcoming place for people entering crypto, for them to learn, for them to get involved in DAOs, for them to start to understand these processes. So, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, if you, you know, interest in Index Co-op, please go to our Discord. There is a introduction um, channel on the Discord. Introduce yourself. Our, our entire new joiner team will be in contact. They'll get you uh, on a new joiner call. And it's incredible how many people will come and they'll say, hey, Simon, like I just found out about crypto. I've been involved for a few months. I, you know, I'm working my job at Deloitte or some consulting company. And I think I can, I can help out for like two hours a week. And then they'll come back to me in like two months. And they're like, Simon, all I've worked on for the last two months is the next call up. I quit my, you know, my fancy job. I'm, I'm all in. And watching that evolution happen, watching people go through that process is so rewarding for me. It's so rewarding for the community. So if you're interested, please reach out. Um, please get involved, indexcoop.com, uh, then our Discord. You can find us on Twitter. And uh, super, su- I'm sure there's a few listeners right now who will be uh, finding their way to our Discord. Please let us know. We can't wait to have you. Awesome. Yeah, su- super bullish on, on you guys continuing to grow and just become a talent black hole. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time, and, and thanks very much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you, Jose. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for the next episode. Out soon.